0: We're in the 15th chapter of Romans. Got down to about verse 3 last time. And we're coming now to the close of the book. We're going to begin to get into in the next several verses. The the close and the closing statements of Paul to the church at Rome. Remembering that Romans was an epistle. Paul's writing a letter, sending it to the church at Rome for it to be read by the church. Uh, And certainly God's... Saw fit to preserve and provide us a copy of that today. But we're coming down to the close of the section where he's been speaking through 14 about the strong and the weak believers, how that the church is to come together. And so he brings us in verse 3 to the cross of Jesus Christ that, you know, uh, as man would say, well, I'm, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to endure that. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And we've seen it several times through the book of Romans and you'll see it all through the New Testament. Paul brings us back to the cross. Paul says, look at Jesus. The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on thee. That's verse 3. That's a quote from Psalm 69 and verse 9. So all the reproaches and really what he's saying in that original there in Psalms, the reproaches that were towards God, They all fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but on him the hatred and the the wickedness and the guilt of all of the church was laid on his back there. And he carried that, not for his good, but for the good of the church, for the salvation of his bride. He accomplished that work and so in verse 4 so he showed us the cross I'm not going to do that well the Lord Jesus did remember we talked about the scripture last time where as he and the disciples are gathered in the upper room there for that last supper and their feet's not washed it was Jewish tradition they wash and their feet be washed before a meal but that was that was the lowest servant's job and You see these men, they're all gathered in there with Jesus, and none of them feels humbled enough to to get down and wash the other's feet. And it just doesn't get done. Nobody says anything about it, it's ignored. They sit down, and the Lord Jesus girds himself after the meal, and he washes their feet. And the lesson is that Jesus gives out of that you've seen what I've done, now you do the same. You come down. Don't wait on somebody else to come down. Don't wait on somebody else to do, but you do as I've done. And so that's as the Word of God says here. So now in verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now this verse coming right after a quote from the Psalms you know, people say today, even today, in the thinking of man, well, that, that's Old Testament. And really, we're not under that system anymore. Uh, we've got the New Testament. We don't have to worry about the Old. But Paul has quoted in the New Testament, and he's going to do it about four or five times in a row on down in this chapter. And so Paul says, those things that were written afore, they were for us they did have a direct application to the people that were alive when that was written, but that was also written unto us for our learning and for our growth in the kingdom of God. So listen at just a few places. In, in Romans 4, earlier in this book, he says that it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. That was true for Abraham. Abraham believed what God had said. He was persuaded of that and God imputed righteousness to him. But he says in Romans 4 verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. That's not just a Bible story that only applies to Abraham. But that's written for us as well. That we look at that and see that Abraham had righteousness imputed to him and Paul says in verse 24 that for us also to whom it shall be imputed. That in the same way we see Abraham, we see how Abraham believed, we see how God gave Abraham righteousness that Abraham didn't have, and we can understand that that's the same way we come. As God by the Spirit generates that faith in our heart, we come to Christ in belief. God gives us righteousness that we did not have of ourselves. So that that was written of Abraham, that was true for Abraham, and it's true for us. It's for our learning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, I guess this is a well-known reference here. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's a law. That is in the book of the law. And so how does that apply to us. So Paul says, Doth God take care for oxen? Was God's main thought in writing that law to take care of the oxen? Well, let's listen to what the Word says. Or saith He it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. So Paul wrote, in the New Testament, that that law didn't just apply to oxen under the Old Covenant, but that applies to us today. And the application that He's going to use there is that, really, to say it in short words, you ought to pay the preacher. That as He is uh, benefiting your spiritual things, we minister to Him in carnal things. And so, as the oxen is in the... The labor, he's treading out the corn. He says, Don't put a, a, he's working and he's laboring for your benefit and for your good. Don't muzzle him and keep him from eating that that he's working in. He's not going to eat it all. So don't muzzle him. Let him take of that as he labors for you. And so that wasn't written just for the oxen, but for our learning and for our benefit. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now all these things happened unto them for exa- in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So if you look in the first part of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he's writing about all that happened to the children of Israel as they were in Egypt and they were brought out of Egypt and they were brought into the promised land how that they murmured and rebelled against God, how that God provided water out of the rock, how that God brought them through the Red Sea, and how that they came up to the border of Canaan's land and they moaned and murmured against God again and God swore that they would never enter in. So that was written for our admonition that we wouldn't do what they did in rejecting the call of God. Because we see God done all these works for them, yet in the wilderness they died. So none of, now listen, none of the Old Testament is of no value to us today. It is all valuable. It was all written, as he says here in Romans 15 whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, our instruction that we might be able... You know, we tried to do a play here looking at the Old Testament. All of those things that we looked at from the Old Testament, those things really happened. Joseph really was hated of his brethren. He really was sold into Egypt. And so you can read that in Genesis just like a storybook. This is history. This happened to that man. But there's something deeper there to instruct us. That in that life of Joseph, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ and His work of redemption. Abraham did have a son, miraculously, in old age. And God did tell him, go and offer that son. And Abraham really did. A real man, just like me and you. He took his son up on the mountain and he did raise the knife to kill that son. But that's not written for bedtime stories. That's not written for dramatic reading. That's there that we can see that Abraham was willing to do the will of God and give his son. And in the same manner, God's going to give His Son, whom He loved, for the sins of the church. So this Old Testament, it's there for us. All of it is there for our instruction and for our learning. 2 Timothy, I guess the most familiar. Chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Scripture is divinely breathed out of God written by human hands, but the source of the Word of God is God Himself. And it's profitable. There's no part of the book that you can throw out and say that's of no value to me today. Man may try to do that, but by the Word of God it is profitable. And, and at the time, there was no New Testament canon. All they had was the Old Testament. So when they gathered for preaching, when Peter took a scripture that he was going to preach from, it was Old Testament. When Paul went to the synagogue and he was going to preach to them, Jesus, he was preaching from the Old Testament. When the eunuch was reading and said, Philip, I I don't know who he's talking about here. He was reading from the Old Testament. So that scripture is there to point us to the Lord Jesus. And it's all profitable. Then we've got the New Testament as well. The writings of the apostles of Jesus Christ. That that God authorized. And, and I want you to notice a few things. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's start there. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So even in the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost is at work among men, inspiring them, moving them to write the Scripture as we have it. Isaiah's vision in chapter 53 of the Lamb of God on the cross And he's hanging there not for his wrongdoing, but for other people's wrongdoings. And Isaiah, he's got enough of the vision to even write that for our. He included himself there. This man is hanging there for our iniquities. So, where did that come from? That was inspired by the Holy Spirit. God let him have a vision through the lattice work of what was to come. The work that the Lamb of God was going to do. And so the Scripture is profitable, it's good, it's right, and it's holy. Not to be taken lightly or to be made light of, but sacred. This came from God. And so... We, we looked, it's been a little while back, in Revelation uh, here in preaching, and how that uh, Jesus said, unto the angel of the church, write. So Jesus is giving to the apostle John to write to the pastor of the church. and He says that about all seven of those churches. So the, the order of Revelation... There is an order to revelation. You know, I can't sit down today and write a new book and it becomes Scripture. We're not adding to the Bible today. You know why that is? Because we've got the Old Testament Scripture that God revealed through Moses and those men. And then as the New Testament came, it was those that were the apostles and that the apostles authorized... They had the illumination of God to write Scripture. And, you know, some may say, well, they didn't consider it Scripture then. But if you read in Peter, I believe it's 2 Peter, chapter number 3, verse 16. Now Peter's writing here about Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures. So you see, as Peter writes this, Peter considers the writings of Paul the same as the other Scriptures. The apostles had that authority. We don't have that authority today. I don't have the authority to receive a new revelation from God. The revelation's been made and given to us in the Holy Word. You know what the angel of the church at Ephesus was going to preach? The revelation that God gave to John and that John wrote down. He's not got a new revelation. Man thinks today, well, I'm going to go to God and get it myself. I understand, I understand what they're saying when they say that. But the, the honesty is that's not true. We've got it in the Word. The Word laying in your lap. The Word laying in my lap. This is the revelation that God has given unto us from His apostles and from the holy men of the Old Testament. And it's through these that we grow. I'm not free to come up with my own gospel message. Timothy, don't go and figure something else out to preach, but you preach the Word. What you have in your lap is sufficient to get the work of the Lord Jesus Christ done. It's sufficient to strengthen the church, sufficient to save them that are lost. I don't need to look through Scripture to find things to go along with my message. The message is there in the scripture I just need to expound the scripture the Holy Ghost will take care of everything else so the scripture is there that, that we might have hope that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so that word we've talked about that word a lot that's expectation and confidence how do we Have patience, comfort, and hope. A confidence in God. How does that come? Well, we're just going to close our eyes and say, I hope it works out. We're going to close our eyes and say, "I I think God's able and I think He might. But no, the Word of God tells us where these come from. They come from the Scriptures. Well, I don't really need to read the Scriptures. Well, then what are you getting? You see what I'm saying? If it's from them that we receive instruction, it's from the Scriptures that I learn and that I grow in the knowledge of Christ, not in earthly experience, but in the Scriptures I learn the truth. And if it's through the Scriptures that I receive Patience, cheerful, or hopeful, endurance. You know what a lot of the life of the early church was? It was patience, endurance. You know what they were enduring? Hatred, mocking, scourges, imprisonment, death. They were enduring being put out even, you know, it's, it's beyond our, our ability to understand. They weren't allowed to go buy and sell down at the market. They couldn't go to Walmart and shop for groceries. They were outlawed from even the economy of the world in that day. So what are they doing? They're enduring. They are patiently and with cheerfulness enduring because their eyes are not in this world. They're looking to a home that's beyond this world. And comfort imploration or solace, how that the Scriptures can comfort our heart. You know, people look to everything in the world for a little bit of comfort, a little bit of ease and a little bit of solace. But the the church now, the church goes to the Scriptures for comfort. It's in the Scriptures that I learn that I'm in God's hand. It's in the scriptures that I learned that the man born blind, he was born that way for the glory of God. God was in control from the beginning. And He still is in control. And in His hand the church still rests. And as David trusted in God, and as Abraham trusted in God, and as Moses trusted in God, and as Job lost everything. Everything that he had, all that he had was a pile of ashes. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Through that and through the scripture, I can have hope. I can have a confident expectation because I see that God always did deliver. He always came through With His promise. He always did what He said. And as I grow in my understanding of that, I can have confidence that He's going to do what He said to me also. So it's through the Scripture that we have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation. Same two words from verse 4. He is a God of patience cheerful or hopeful, endurance and consolation, imploration and solace. Is He not a loving and caring God in the affairs of our lives? The God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So you could say a couple of things here. Paul is, this is a kind of prayer. He's praying that God would grant them the ability to be like-minded toward one another in the body. That they have the same mind. And he says, according to Christ Jesus. So I believe you could apply that two different ways. I think the application here and what he's saying is that we're to be like-minded one toward another as Christ was towards us. It's just like in Philippians. If there's any consolation, if you've received any love, if you've received any mercy, if you've received any goodness, if you've received anything that was undeserved from Christ, you be like-minded toward them that are round about you. I believe that's what he's saying here. That as Christ received you, as Christ loved you, as Christ has given to you, you be like-minded to those that are round about you. A lot of scripture we could look at there, but you know there that that parable that Greg Greg looked at a few weeks back, that parable about the man that was forgiven a debt that was unimaginable, and then he come to his companion, he come to his fellow man. And He wouldn't forgive him of a hundred dollars. Well that's not the the attitude that Christ had towards us. So as as He forgave us the debt that we owed Him, He expects us to be like-minded in Christ. How do we get that? Well that's through the strength and the grace of God. That's not my nature. I will not find it in my earthly nature to be like-minded to you as Christ was to me. But it's according to Christ Jesus. It's through Him that we receive the Spirit and the strength to live as He would guide and direct us to live. So in verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about what you just read. That you may with one mind and one mouth. Not a bunch of individual minds and not a bunch of individual mouths. You know, the thought today, even the thought of well, I don't really need the church in my walk with God. I'll, I'll worship God on my own. That thought can be even amongst the church. And then even that, that people say, well, I can be saved and do just as good at home and have no need of the church whatsoever. That is a foreign thought in the doctrine of the Word of God. Zephaniah said this. This is from the Old Testament. It was written for our learning. Chapter 3 verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. That word consent, it means a neck. That they may serve Him with one neck. And the picture, there's the ox. There's the ox. We're going to plow with him. We put the yoke around his neck to his shoulders. And there he pulls the plow and we plow our ground with him. You know how the Lord's view in the church is serving him? As one neck. We are one body. We are not individuals. But we with one mouth and with one mind, we come together and we glorify him and it's not, well. I glorified Him better than somebody else did? All of those thoughts are carnal. Carnal. The church as one body glorifies Him in unity as one. Matthew chapter 6. Now here's the Lord. Here's His first sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. Here the Lord is going to give us a prayer. The Lord's prayer is what you know it as. And you, you, you've got it memorized. After this manner, therefore, pray you. How does it go? Whose Father? Our. Not my Father, which art in heaven. That ain't the way we pray, is it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us not me, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Is there any I or any me in that prayer? So even as Christ is teaching us to pray, He's showing us the community of believers that pray to God together. That as I pray, it's not just for me, but it's for the body that we pray. See, we've been brought not into a communal gathering of people in a building, but into a unit that is indeed one in the Lord. That's what the church is. You know, you've got Adam and Eve. They twain shall be one flesh. Were they one flesh? No, they they weren't naturally speaking. They were two bodies that were separate. (coughs) Are we one flesh naturally speaking? Absolutely not. But as God looks on the church... He doesn't see Joseph the good boy in the church and everybody else is a little step below him. That's the way people see the church. They're above everybody else and we're doing more and we're above them. Well, I got news for you. Your prayer and your worship is coming with one mind and one mouth of everybody else. We're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. As God looked at Adam, He did not look at Adam without seeing Eve with Him. They were one. They were joined together. And so, the church is joined together in Jesus Christ. So as we come to God, God's plan from the very beginning was not to save individuals and leave them on their own. God is saving a community, a body... Of believers. That was the intent from the beginning. We saw it in Zephaniah. Let's look in Matthew chapter 16. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, my ecclesia. It's the Greek word. It means two things, it's two Greek words put together. It means a calling out and a congregation. That's the two words together. So what's happening? God is calling out of the world. We see that part of it. That God by the Spirit and the Word, He effectually convinces and regenerates His people and brings them to the Son Jesus, but He doesn't save them that they're alone and out in, uh, in life by their self, but He calls them out of the world into a congregation of believers. Peter, it's on this rock. Not that I'm going to save my individuals, but that my church is going to be built as one body, as one unit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them. You see, where does people go when they're saved? They get baptized and They are automatically in the church. It's not three different steps. That's the way it's thought of today. Well, you get saved and then you should get baptized and then you should join the church. But this is all one thing here. It's not a question of whether this believer is going to be baptized. And it's not a question whether now that they're saved, whether they're going to join the church or not. But as they are saved, they go and are baptized and they join the church. They were added unto who? Under them. The body. The church of that day. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And all that believed were together Had all things common. Where's God saving people to? Well, first, He's saving them from a world that's in sin. But He's bringing them into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're brought out of the world and into the church. Separate from the church, there's no life. Do you see that? Outside of the ecclesia, Outside of the church of the living God, there is no one that is saved. Nobody's saved outside of the body. Nobody's worshiping God apart from the body. Nobody's praying to God apart from the body. It cannot be done. Because we're one, we're brought into the same body. We've got pictures. Jesus gives us some parables of a shepherd and sheep. Of a man and the family. You know, you think about those pictures. If the shepherd goes out in the field and calls, the sheep are going to draw near to the shepherd. But to draw near to him, they're all going to have to draw near to each other. When you gather your sheep with your dog, They all gather together, don't they? And the family, if we're going to have family time this evening, and my family and my brother's family, we're going to draw near to dad and he's going to tell us a story. Well, if we're going to get close to dad, the closer we get to him, the closer we all get together. You see that? There's no way around that. And so in that picture... That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. I cannot draw near to God without drawing closer to the church. It's impossible that I'm coming to God alone and I'm not coming nearer to you. Listen at a few scriptures. John chapter 17. Here's the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus. That they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. What's the prayer of Jesus? That all of the body be brought together as one, just like He and the Father were one. I in them, they in Me, and we in Thee. You see how all of it's It's all together. And he's speaking about the body as a whole. Listen at another place. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. What's the next words there? Do you know? That that's a little more obscure. One with another. If you walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You see how they they go to get their hand in hand? That if I'm walking with Jesus, I'm in fellowship with the brethren. So can I then be hand in hand with Jesus And be out of fellowship with the brethren? Not by the Scripture. They're one and the same. So those that are out of fellowship with the church, you don't have to wonder. And they may say, well, I can do good at home. But it's a lie. You can't. Separate from the body, separate from the church, is to be separate from the Lord. The church is the Lord's building, the Lord's doing, and there's no life apart from... There's not. There's no life apart from the church. So as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us. So see, it's it's all... Well, I want my sin forgiven, but... I don't want theirs that don't work but it's as a unit that the church comes together for worship and for glory to God you cannot come near to God and not come near to the church and if you're going to draw closer to God you're getting closer to the rest of the sheep are, there's no way around it. First John two eleven, he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Many such verses we could read in First John, right along these lines. You know what John saw? The Apostle John, in his revelation from God Almighty, saw as he wrote to the church. John saw a love of God for the church. John saw a love of the church for God. And John saw that there was no drawing near to God. There was no walking with God. There was no worshiping God. There was no being right with God and being out of fellowship with the brethren of the church. There was no drawing near. Well, I've been drawing near to God. Well, you know, there's a way you can look at that... Are you drawing near to the brethren? Because you're not drawing near to God except you're drawing near to the brethren. There's no way. It's impossible. Because it's with one mouth, one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the glory is all aimed towards the Father, the One that... It's by Him that the plan of salvation came into be and was carried out by the Spirit through the Son. So all glory redounds to God. There's, there's no glory for the church. There's no glory for a certain portion of the church because we all come in the same way. The church is one mouth. No big eyes and little U's is we've heard many times but the church comes together to worship god in the spirit with one mouth not to prove a point to somebody else not to exalt self above another but to the glory of god the father that plucked us out of sin and so let's look we've just got a minute or two verse 7 wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So what's the what's the closing thought here? You do what Christ did. Do as Christ your master did. He wasn't too big to wash the disciples' feet. He wasn't so great that He wouldn't bear and endure for our good. And so in John 13, a new commandment, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. In The law commanded us to love. The law had commandments to love. So in, in a way, this commandment wasn't new that we would love one another. That you'd love your neighbor as yourself. But what's new about it is as I've loved you. Now we've got An example. And we can see, you know, before in the Old Testament, there was nobody that loved like that. There was no example of that kind of love in the Old Testament. But now in the new we have the Lord Jesus who did love like that. Who did care for us like that. And the Lord says, now, as I've loved you and as I've done to you, I now expect you to do unto the others. One more place, Matthew 18, verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? So there, from that parable that we spoke about earlier, shouldn't you have done for you the fellow man what I did for you? But my God, in our mind, we get it jumbled up a lot of times. But there's no comparison as to what the Lord did for this man versus what He was going to do for the fellow man. Was There's no comparison there. One more place, Luke 15. Then drew near to Him all the publicans and sinners for to hear Him. So here He is. <clears throat> He's in a place, let's just say... He's here. And the publicans and sinners are going to draw near to here. Can you see that picture? Maybe they're going to start right here. But you know how they're going to be sitting? They're going to be getting close. They want to be as close to Him as they can, so they're going to be close to one another. So here's all the sinners gathering in, and they're drawing up in a group at the feet of the Lord to hear His Word and the Pharisees. Now who are they? They're the, they're the elite. They're the spiritual elite. They are better than, they're more holy than, they're more pure than, they do more than, they pray harder than, they believe more than, they are the most righteous of the righteous. And I'm better than you. And I do more than you. And I work more than you. I'm better. That's the Pharisee. The Pharisee and the scribes. Now who's the scribes? He calls them in some places lawyers. Now their job was that they they didn't have a printing press. They didn't have printers. So to get copies of the Word of God, they were handwritten. And it was the scribes' job. They were the ones copying the Word of God. They'd have one already written And they're writing over here. So you know what they did? Their job now. Maybe one of them had the job to copy the books of Moses. And maybe two or three times a week, they read through, and not just read or skimmed through, but they wrote down. Now if anybody had some scripture memorized, I'd say those folks knew the scriptures. So you've got, I do more, and I'm better than And you've got I know more and I'm smarter than. And they come together and what are they... Now they're looking now. They're looking from over here and here's the Lord and all of these sinners and my God, they're all grouped up and some of them maybe even are touching the Lord. And what are they going to do? They're going to murmur. They're going to complain and say this man receives sinners. If that was a holy man There's no way he would have anything to do with these people. Now I'm telling you by the word of God we could all take the law and we could all come to that conclusion about each and every one of ourselves. But they held that against him and said why if he was a prophet he wouldn't want these people to be around him. But you know, the sinners, the harlots, the publicans, the drunkards, Why we're not going to have anything to do with those people. Well, I'm telling you, they were tickled to death to sit next to one another to hear the Lord Jesus speak His Word unto them. To hear the Lord preach mercy and forgiveness to them. When the door of the church had been shut to them, the publican wouldn't welcome in the church. The harlot couldn't come into the temple and worship. They were unclean. Weren't nowhere near what the Pharisees were. I've heard it and we'll, we'll talk about this just for a second and we'll quit. I've heard it said you ought not to talk to people that live like that. Well if you're not careful you'll be a Pharisee. The Lord says in Corinthians to separate from those that are called brethren. If somebody in the church has that reputation, we ought to separate from them. But not altogether the sinners of the world. Because in order to do that, he says in Corinthians, we'll have to be taken out of the world. The church is not better than, more holy than, anybody in the family. We all come the same way. And if we're going to draw near to hear the Lord, we're coming near to one another. That's the way it is. Without coming near to one another, there is no drawing near.